Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. The Illinois Supreme Court is uh, the source of the trial that we're going to discuss today. And I'll I'll admit, when when you're drawing materials from the Supreme Court level, you might expect, uh, let's say, meatier content than what we will discuss today. Now, not that the content of our discussion is going to be lacking, but the charges in the case just wouldn't seem to appear to be too substantial. We'll find out how and why it ended up at the Supreme Court. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, I'm pleased, of course, once again to be your host for our conversation uh, as we discuss uh, different factors of the law. And in this month, we're going to take a look at uh, the ruling in Illinois versus Rashid Kassler. Joining me is Lavelle Law Defense Attorney James Dore. And you know, Jim, if I have learned anything from you in our discussions over the last few years, it is uh, that no matter is too small to pursue in seeking justice in the criminal defense system. So I'm looking forward to hear your take on this case. Are we ready to go today? Oh, we are ready. You know, that, that's a, it's interesting that you pointed out and put it that way, Jim. But you know, it's a funny thing. In, 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 in courts of law, you will see every aspect of human life go through the courts of law so in some way or another. So it's it's not surprising to me that it, it's even these kind of facts end up in, a, in the Illinois Supreme Court. You know, our own U.S. Supreme Court has, has had cases that it's it's shocking that they, they think that nine justices at that level would consider, you know, the, the, uh-huh. the case that's in front of them. But that's the way the law is. And that's, you know, when there's differing opinions in, in different districts, it ends up going to different you know, higher courts to resolve those differences. And that's one of the things going on with this case here is uh, they resolved the discrepancy in some of the lower courts. Well, let's, um, let's kind of backtrack. This, this case comes out of Jackson County in Illinois and originally included uh, three charges against Mr. Kassler. Can you kind of recap for us the specifics of how this case started? Right. This, it happened down in, in Carbondale, and there was three charges uh, presented to a jury in this case, but they only convicted him of one, one charge. Uh, he was charged with uh, possessing cocaine, uh, less than uh, 15 grams. And he was charged with possessing methamphetamine, methamphetamines, I think less than five grams. And then the third charge, the one that made it to the appellate court and then to the Supreme Court, was the one that the jury convicted him on, which was an obstruction of justice uh, charge uh, relating to uh, how he identified himself to the, one of the police officers on hand. And this appears to have come out of a uh, kind of a party taking place at a hotel, and police were called, and that's where they discovered the, the contraband, among other things. But what did the police walk into, and how did this case start to evolve when they arrived on the scene? Right. Well, it started with – there's actually two police officers here, a sergeant and, a, and another patrolman, and they're on foot patrol, and they're going through various hotels through Carbondale, how the case reads. So they find themselves at this quality inn, at 12:45 a.m., and they're on the second floor, 
and they're walking down a hallway. And the defendant in this case, they they testified that he walked out of the courtroom or walked out of the courtroom, walked out of the hotel room, uh, saw the officers, and then went back into the room. Um, the sergeant there said he thought the defendant looked familiar, so that when they came to the door, was, they were right at the door. They smelled, of course, they smelled cannabis, both of the officers. So, based on the odor of cannabis or the odor of burnt cannabis, to be specific, they knock on the door. And somebody different, another person than the defendant, a young lady, answers the door. And that's when they realize that they smell an even stronger odor of cannabis. There's a party going on in the hotel room with tequila, a couple guys, a couple women. But our client, or our, our the, uh, client in this case, the defendant, he was in the bathroom when, they, when, when they, the two officers came into the hotel room or opened the door. Mm-hmm. All right. So after that... Um, the officer says, you know, because he knew the office, the bathroom door was closed. The officer's still trying to clear the room and trying to account for the person he saw. So he knocks again. He says, anybody in the bathroom, identify yourself. And that's when they, the sergeant testified. And this is what I love the, the, the reading this case here. Um, <laughs> you, those of you keeping score at home were on page three. But it says, Sergeant Draper testified that the defendant responded essentially that he was defecating. So we got a closed a closed bathroom door. Um, I can promise you, reading between the lines, that that's not the word. Those aren't the words that the defendant yeah. used in this case. <laughs> Appropriate for the courtroom, though. Right. Oh, it, it all ends up in the court. I mean, seriously. And then, uh, yeah. but he did respond to the defendant when he was asked to identify himself. He gave another name. He gave the name of Jakuta King Williams, and said he'd had no identification. Said he was from Virginia. Patrolman or Sergeant Draper testified that he was initially fooled by this false name all right so next step is uh they run the name they find out it's not him there's a little bit of discrepancies between what the patrolman testified but we'll just keep it kind of simple here that they you know they they go in the room when they get when they get when the sergeant has uh our uh, the defendant here leave the bathroom he immediately recognized him because he had arrested him before so he knew he immediately recognized him he said are you Rashid Kassler? And the defendant did not respond, so no response, which uh-huh. is a great response. And going back to our earlier podcast, Jim, we know that sometimes yep. no response or remaining silent is the best thing you could do. So that was his best response so far. It's nothing. So it's interesting now. He, he The two drug charges ultimately he was acquitted of, but he's found guilty That's of correct. obstruction. And, and, and Kassler's defense appealed the obstruction charge, first of all, in the appellate court and ultimately the state Supreme Court. And it seems to stem, as you described, only from the fact that he offered a false name. This, you know, he did not try and flee. He did not try and resist. He just gave a false name. How does that become obstruction? Right. And they, they point out further, nothing interfered with Draper's ability to arrest the defendant. And the defendant did not attempt to resist or flee. So it's based only on the providing of a false uh, name. Uh, and they, they, he was charged because they, they, he had an outstanding warrant in his name. So they're saying by uh, responding with a false name, he was trying to uh, resist or obstruct the service of that warrant. But the problem is, is that the officer knows immediately that this is not Chiquita King Williams. He knows who this defendant is. So he was never um, material obstructed. So, and really, your question gets to the nuts and bolts of this case and, and, and um, you know, how, how they 
what the prosecutors are are charged with or tasked with in proving obstruction charge. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, <clears throat> so the furnishing the false information, they have to also say, and this is part of what the, the state the defendant contended that um, that the false information material impeded materially impeded the administration of justice. So in this case, the administration of justice would be the arrest for uh, the uh, warrant that was out for the warrant. Yeah. So and they're saying did that uh, false information material impede. And then they get into, this is where the, the case becomes fun, Jim, is they, they get into legislative intent. They do some dictionary uh, uh, searches for the words uh, yeah. furnish. They even look at one from the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary from 1961, when they looked at the statutory language, um, which is great. Um, on page six, Jim, when they talk about what courts do consider in ascertaining the, the, the full and true intent of a legislature, and there's a nice paragraph there on, on, on how judges should properly do this, uh, this determination of legislative intent. And they really are not supposed to substitute their own uh, uh, views or uh, mm-hmm. fine language is not in statutes. They're supposed to interpret the best they can the language that is presented in the plain language presented. And that's where, as you said, it got very interesting because, first of all, they, they dissected very carefully the state statute as it was written. And, and I want to come back to that statute. But but you also alluded, they, I mean, they went to the dictionary and they pulled out definitions of words um, including the word furnish, because that was, did he furnish the information? Um, I guess, simple question, I mean, have you seen this level of uh, investigation by the court before? I mean, is this a, a common activity to not only dissect the, the statute, but to refer to the actual definition of the words? It it happens often enough that it's, I wouldn't call it uncommon. I'd say that, I would mm-hmm. say this is a well-drafted opinion, and they and they really did try to do their best to, uh, remain faithful to the legislature's intent. Um, but sometimes it does come down to one word, Jim, and, that, and that's kind of what makes this the legal business fun. Uh, what did the legislature intend when they used that word furnish? And furnish became, they used the word furnish to say that there's a, an element of material obstruction in, that, in, that, uh, in the statute or imperial impediment in that statute. So that one word became a, 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 a a big turning point in this case. Well, we're talking with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore, uh, taking a look at Illinois versus Kassler, a fascinating case uh, in which the defense took its case on a, a <clears throat> relatively minor obstruction charge all the way to the Illinois Supreme Court. And uh, Jim Dore is helping us dissect the case and the pursuit of justice as he does every month. You can catch many of our uh, past discussions at LavelleLaw.com or iTunes to kind of uh, follow along in some of the different areas that uh, we've covered. But tell us a little bit then about um, the outcome of this case. Uh, again, con- convicted and upheld in appellate, but overturned in the Supreme Court. What what did the Illinois Supreme Court ultimately decide, and what was their basis for it? Well, ultimate ruling, they ruled ultimately in the defendant's favor, although they did re- uh, uh, send it back to the uh, trial court level uh, to resolve uh, the open issue of the charge, because at the trial level, the defense attorney was cut off when he was when he or she was trying to get to that point of when he was in, uh, cross-examining the officer and others that to the material impediment, they were stopped from going that that father. There was an objection by the prosecutor's point, and it was upheld. So the, at the trial court level, 
they never got into mm-hmm. those exact uh, questions, right? And there's a there's a nice uh, uh, synopsis here, the court record in in the, in the the opinion here, um, and you can see it's nice when you can break it down because you have to create a pellet record for the appellate courts. Yeah, and this is one of the fun things about this case too. It's easier you can make it at the trial court level, even if you're going to lose. You got to create your record for the appellate court to look at and make their yeah, ruling. You've mentioned right. That. Uh-huh. So the holding was basically in a prosecution for obstruction of justice by furnishing false information, which is how he was charged. The state must prove that the false information materially impeded the administration of justice. So they reversed the defendant's conviction and he remanded for further proceedings because uh, they're saying that that one word or that, that that false identification given to the officer did not material obstruct in this case. And it based in part because the officer knew who that person was. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got about two minutes left, and I'm going to throw two questions at you if I can get them both in. Um, the first, you talked about the uh, the court referring to the state statute, and it seemed that they referred then to the fact that after previous cases, the legislature never changed the statute. So they said, well, if we've, we've used it in other cases. They seem to think it's fine, so they're going to leave it as it is. Again, is that um, – uh, something that uh, we would see come out of the courts or this edge or kind of pushing the legislature to update a statute? Well, I, it, it's a good, it's, it's an example of statutory construction because each time that the, uh, the courts interpret a statute, okay, if, if each time they interpret it, if the legislature doesn't respond by that, uh, that interpretation saying they either agree or disagree, or if they disagree, if they don't you know, legislate around that or say that mm-hmm. you know, that was not a proper interpretation. Um, then it becomes part of the, the, the case law history. It becomes part of the statutory history, the, the interpretations. So legislature has a chance to, to address any rulings. If they fail, you to, fail to act, then, they, then that's ruled as, ah, then they're consenting to this. They're, they know this case law exists. Legislatures are well aware of all these decisions. If they do not act and legislate accordingly, right, then, then it's noted as, as, well, they must uh, 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 assent to this interpretation because they haven't, you know, legislated otherwise. And before I let you go, I'm going to refer back to my opening comment and just uh, let you weigh in on it quickly, which is uh, really no matter is too small to pursue when you really feel like you've got a case that you need to prove. And this, this case is a great example of that. I agree. This is a fun decision, Jim. I enjoyed this one. All right. Well, James Roar, thanks so much for being with us as always uh, really enjoy the conversation and uh, uh, certainly, um, had a great one to talk about today. Let me again ask people to head over to LavelleLaw.com. You can find uh, Mr. Doar's profile, all of his information on his practice, many years uh, as a criminal defense attorney, as well as past podcasts and articles and videos that he has produced. Um, a lot of great content there for you. So thanks to him. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, certainly always look forward to our monthly conversations here on Liberty and the Law. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.